Uh, as Paul mentioned, today we're picking up uh, our study again of the, of the book of Psalms, which we've been doing through the, through the summer periods over the past two years, uh, even before, I think, Henry and I um, uh, came here. And I was thinking about Psalms, and I was thinking about the importance of communication in relationships. And, uh, and as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about um, my dad, because uh, today is Father's Day. And uh, I was thinking about my dad. My dad um, is the best man I know. Um, when Emily and I got married, um, I had lots of really great friends, but um, it was my dad. That when, I, when I thought about the best man in my sense of my life, the, person, the man I was most closest to it was my dad. Um, and it's my dad. And so um, I asked my, my dad to be my best man, which I thought would be a wonderful thing, which it was. But then his speech uh, came. Um, and he reminded Emily, who did not know this story, he waited till the wedding day for this, and Paul and Fiona are laughing because they remember the story, um, of how when Emily and I um, first started chatting, um, she went away to India for a couple of months to serve in India, and uh, we, uh, we wanted to chat, we wanted to communicate, um, and so we, we found um, this sort of one pence per minute phone line that you could use, so we could chat for hours on end, um, for a very little price, so we thought. So we would chat for hours, um, and then it turns out that this only applies if you do this from a landline and not from a mobile phone. <laughs> Always read the small print. Always read the small print. Um, and so after a couple of months, my parents, who received it because we were all as a family on, our same, on the same mobile phone bill, uh, opened the bill to find upwards of £800 <laughs> phone bill for the three months of calls that I was having with Emily when she was in India. Uh, to which my dad said when he saw the bill, he just laughed and said, well, she better be the one. <laughs> which, she is the one. So it all worked out in the end. Um, but communication in relationships, it's real. It needs to be real and honest and genuine. Um, I was reading this uh, this week where it says, when you're truly in love with someone, you, you go to great lengths to be with the one you love. You, you'll drive hours to be together, even if it's only for a short time. You don't mind staying up late to talk. Uh, you're willing to spend um, uh, a small fortune to be with them, if you like. You're crazy uh, about them. Um, and when you're not with them, it's, it's powerful and it's miserable. Um, uh, he or she is all you think about. And then, uh, and then they said, perhaps maybe that's what our relationship with God should be like. Is our relationship with God like that? And this is where the book of Psalms comes in. Because in essence, the book of Psalms is a vast collection of songs, uh, of poems and prayers written by the Hebrews or the Israelites. And they were coming from all different periods through Israel's history. And they were all written by a variety of different authors. Some were written by kings, some by prophets, some by choir or worship leaders. Um, now, a language lesson here. Forgive my pronunciation. The English title Psalms in our Bible springs from the Greek Samoy, I looked that up, um, which is a translation of the Hebrew word mizmor. And both of those two words have to do with songs that are sung to the accompaniment of stringed instruments. 
So the book of Psalms is the collection of songs, poems, or prayers, which actually inform part of the life of the worship for God's people, the Israelites. And the Psalms are often sung by choirs in the temple, or they were actually also used as prayers in private devotion at home. And this is why the book of Psalms is so beautiful, because the Psalms convey real and raw human emotion. They provide us with intense and real language with which to express the deepest emotions and passions of our heart. They're real and they're genuine, honest. And unlike other books of the Bible, the book of Psalms consists mainly and primarily of human words to and about God, not God's words to humans. It's more so us speaking to God rather than God speaking to us in the book of Psalms. And that highlights the importance that God is a personal and a relational God. God wants us to speak to him. Now our psalm today, Psalm 44, as we'll see in a moment, is a song or a prayer that is intense and deeply emotional. And at the beginning of Psalm 44, we have a small title. In my, in my Bible it says, For the director of music of the sons of Korah. Now the sons of Korah, scholars suggest, are the group who actually wrote this psalm. And they were a family appointed by um, Israel's second king, King David, to have certain musical responsibilities for, um, uh, for, music, for music mainly, uh, for worship in the temple of Jerusalem. And it's this group that the psalm, or the scholars suggest that the psalm, Psalm 44, is attributed to. So let's read this psalm together. It's Psalm 44. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to it. If not, I'll, I will read it to you. But Really look at it and read it. Read the language that the people or the person that's written this psalm, look at the honesty of the language here. Psalm 44, verse 1. We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring the victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. But now... You have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy and our adversaries have plundered us. You, have, you gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. All this came upon us though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it, since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep 
to be slaughtered. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Wow. Heavy stuff. This psalm, uh, as we've read, is a psalm of intense mourning, really. And it's national mourning. And the people of Israel are clearly in a place of dire crisis. A crisis that scholars aren't actually too sure which crisis they're in at this point in history. But it's not necessarily the occasion that really matters, but simply the surprise of the content with which we read. Look at verse 9 to 14 again. I think it's going to be up on the screen there. Verse 9 to 14. But now you've rejected us and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors. The scorn and derision of those around us, you have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. It is clear that something extremely awful has happened to this people, the people of Israel. But the more shocking thing, perhaps, is that the person they hold accountable for their current state is God. The person they blame, if you like, is God. They accuse God of rejecting them, though they've done no wrong, and they plead for him to awake and help them, that he would rescue them. Rise up and help us, Lord. They cry out to God, and the psalm ends with that plea. I'm sure many of us can look back over our lives and see periods of crisis and despair where perhaps we too have prayed and cried out to God, and nothing's up. No answer has come. Perhaps this morning you may be a little angry with God or frustrated because of something that's happening in your life or something that's happening in someone else's life that you know because of something you don't understand, and it's truly upsetting you. Maybe this morning there was a crisis going on in your home, or in your family, or in your marriage, or in your work situation, or in your finances, or in your studies and exams, in your ministry, or in your relationship with someone. There is hurt. There is confusion. There is pain. And you're crying out to God. Let me just say that that's okay if we feel like that. That's okay. We said earlier that God wants to have this genuine, intimate relationship with us. He wants communication that's genuine and real. How amazing is it that God lets us have this psalm in his word, the Bible? Isn't that quite amazing? Because it seems like when you read the psalm, God doesn't really seem to be painted in a very nice light. But isn't it amazing that it's included in the Bible? How amazing is it that actually God lets us, his creation, speak to him like this? Honestly and real. It's so genuine, isn't it? It's so real and raw, this psalm. And God wants us to be real. To be honest and genuine when we speak to him in prayer. To be ourselves. God wants you as you are this morning. God wants you as you are. So when we do speak to God, are we authentic? Are we real and honest with him? Are we genuine? If we just communicate with God on things that we understand, but ignore the concerns 
and worries we have with God, with what God may be doing in our lives, then are we really being honest and genuine in our prayer life? You see, we as humans have been created to be in relationship with God, and that relationship with God is the real purpose of your life. That's the purpose for what we were created for. And that's the relationship that Adam and Eve rejected in the Garden of Eden in Genesis. And we as humans, we've all rejected it because of the sin and the brokenness and the rebellion that we have in our lives. That, that want to, to do things our own way rather than God's way. And in the Garden of Eden, we read about, uh, in Genesis, we see God's ideal relationship was intimate friendship between the creator and the creation. A loving relationship between God and the people he created. We were made to live in God's presence. You were made to live in God's presence. But Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They rejected God. And they, just like us today, chose to please themselves in other ways. Chose to find contentment and fulfillment and satisfaction in something else. In money, in sex, in relationships, in power, in success, in family, in work, in politics, in science, in philosophy, in good works, being a good person. All these things that we choose, we put our trust or our hope in, and that we, will bring, that, that, that we think those things will bring us contentment, security, stability, satisfaction, and fulfillment. But the truth is that without a relationship with God, we will never be fully satisfied or fulfilled. Without a relationship with God, You will never be satisfied or truly fulfilled. Why? Because that's what we were created for. That was the purpose of our life. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to provide the way for us to have that relationship with with God. But to do this, Jesus had to deal with with the problem that we all have, the problem with sin, that rebellion, that rejection of God, that want and desire to do things our own way. That sin, our sin, needed to be punished, needed to be cleared. Because God is holy and he's righteous and he's good. Which is why Jesus Christ, who was himself God in the flesh, God come as human being, he, the sinless son of God, took the punishment of your sin and mine to himself. He put it on himself on the cross and he paid for our sin. And the amazing news of the Christian faith is that if we choose to repent of our sin, to turn our life to God, to seek to follow Jesus, believing in who he is and what he's done, we can be forgiven and receive that relationship with God. Turning away from our our old life, the way of wanting to do things by ourselves, and turning to the God who has provided the way for us to be with him through Jesus. And Jesus spoke of this intimacy in John chapter 15. And he said, I no longer call you servants, but friends. He's talking to his disciples here. I I call you no longer servants, but friends. The relationship we receive when we put our faith in Jesus and follow him is one of true intimacy. It's as intimate as we want it to be, but it's true intimacy with our creator. In Galatians chapter 4, it says this, And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. The relationship we have with God through Jesus allows us to call God Father. It's Father's Day. So that fitted really well. I'd forgotten it was Father's Day until halfway through the week, but when I was doing the message, that all came together rather nicely. It's Father's Day. God's the greatest Father. God wants you 
to have a relationship with him through his son so that we can become a child of God. Through Jesus, we're brought into the very presence of God. We can approach him. And Jesus removes that stuff, that sin and that shame and that brokenness, and he pays for it on the cross. And so we can approach God, yes, with respect and awe and worship, as we've done this morning, in thankfulness, but as yourself. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, In Jesus and through faith in Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Freedom and confidence. Like the writer of this psalm, Psalm 44, we need to be giving praise to God for what he's done, which we'll talk about in a moment, but also honestly and confidently expressing the pain and the hurt and the confusion. So are we doing that this morning? I don't know where all of you are in your life, what's happening in your life day by day, week by week, the crisis or the difficulties or the trials going on in your life. Are we praying about them? Someone said to me once, um, have you balanced how much you're talking about your problem with how much you're praying about your problem? I talk about my problems a lot. Ask my wife. Am I talking to my Heavenly Father about them? Are we conveying to God really how we are, how we're feeling, uh, the confusion, the pain, the hurt? This this psalm clearly is one expressing raw pain and frustration and the lack of understanding. He's saying, what's happening? Why is this happening, God? Where are you and why have you done this? And if you're a Christian here this morning, if you follow Jesus, you're a child of God. He's your father. He wants to help you with the burdens of your life. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says this, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's the relationship we have with God, or we can have through Jesus. And this morning, if you're intrigued by this, or you're unsure, or you would like to know more about Jesus or the Bible or Christianity, then please come, come speak to me afterwards or come speak to someone you know here or speak to one of the leaders. Uh, uh, Keith and Paul uh, are both here, sitting at the front here. Come and speak to someone. Don't leave today without considering the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done. Uh, we at Regent, we run a, uh, an informal kind of course called Christianity Explored. It goes through um, the big questions of life, of life, if you like. Why are we here? Does God exist? Uh, who is Jesus, what happens when we die. If these are the types of questions that you have this morning or, or similar ones, then come speak to me afterwards. Come speak to someone afterwards from the church here. Don't leave without questions being unanswered. Christianity Explorer is a fantastic tool for us to, to dig into this relationship that we are offered, each of us individually, we are offered through Jesus. This psalm then, it's raw. It's powerful and it's intense. But note the psalm where it starts. Have a look at verses 1 to 8. It'll be on the screen there. Uh, we have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days. In days long ago, with your hand you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. 
You are my king and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow, nor my sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. The writer of the psalm, he begins by remembering the great wonders God has performed for his people. Uh, They speak of great victories, of battles won, that it was not them that actually were fighting the battles, but actually it was God who was triumphing for them. It was by his hand, it was by his arm that they won battles, and they were preserved as a people. He's He's been faithful to them, he's fought for them, he's protected them, and many times God performs these mighty miracles. And the writer, particularly in verses 1 to 3, says that they know the stories of what God has done. Because our ancestors told us. They knew the stories because of their, uh, their, their ancestors had taken time to sit with them and to share with them the wonders and the miracles of what God had done in their history and in their lives. And actually, it was God himself who instructed his people to do this, to pass it down to the next generation. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, it says this, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your hearts as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words. They may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. God impressed on his people the importance of remembering the great acts that he had done for them and his teachings. And God constantly tells us, you, you trace it in the Old Testament particularly, he constantly tells us, remember this. Remember when I did this. Remember how faithful I've been to you. Because we as humans, we are so prone to forgetting and getting distracted, aren't we? And God knows how prone we are to forget him and what he's done for us. And I feel that often following Jesus is what I'm, something that's, touched me a bit more recently. Following Jesus, I think, is him reteaching the same lesson that he taught me probably three or four years ago, but he's brought it back through another means because I've forgotten it. He brings something back. Don't you remember when I did this? Oh, yeah. The amazing things that God has done. And so the writer, he praises God for his mighty acts and his, and his deeds, and he declares then in verses 4 to 8, the trust that he has in God. And they cry out, it's in God we boast. Not our own might or strength or our own skill, in God we boast. And he looks back at the wonderful things God has done. And that should lead us to praise, as it does here. How often do we sit and look back at the things that God has done in our lives and we we praise him, we worship him. We're in awe of him for what he's done. But it's easy to follow God, isn't it, and praise God when everything in our life is going smoothly, isn't it? It's so easy. Isn't it easy to praise God when there are no problems, no crisis or no issues? When we're on the mountaintop looking down on the view, praising God is the easiest thing. But when we're in the valleys, in the dark valleys of life, on the path which is difficult and winding, when crisis and trial are our constant companion, that's when we see the true reality of our our faith in God, our relationship with God. 
And it's this then that we enter into from verse 9 onwards, where the writer then lays it bare before God, lays it at his feet, the pain and the anguish over what's happened to them. And the words they use are strong. They've been rejected, plundered by their enemies, devoured like sheep, scattered among foreign nations, sold by God, scorned and laughed at by their neighbors, in disgrace, shamed and taunted by their enemies. And the worst part, the worst part for the writer here is that the crisis has no explanation. God gives no answer, no reply, no response. In days past, God had warned his people of how rejecting him and his ways would have consequences. But it seems that in this psalm, in this moment in time, the people have stayed loyal to God. Have a look at verse 17 to 22. All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us, made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we'd forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it, since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. The pain has been made worse by the fact that they are innocent of sin. They have been faithful to God, it seems. Now, these are really difficult verses to grasp and to take hold of and to try and understand. Spend a week trying to do it. Need a lifetime, really. But God seems, gives no answer. And the writer, he doesn't conclude, like other psalms, with with a phrase that says, and then the Lord heard my voice and answered me. And I was blessed. Well, it doesn't say that. It just stops. No response. It ends abruptly with no answer, no clarification. And I think that's deliberate. Because it allows us to enter into this place, this this psalm, on a personal level. We can identify with it. We can all identify with periods in our lives where we've suffered and been in crisis. And we've cried out to God, why is this happening? And God gives no response. And there seems no reason. He gives no reason or understanding. And this this happens in life. This will happen in your life. It's happened in my life. Sometimes the Bible says that uh, for Christians that we need to look look at ourselves perhaps and discern whether there is sin in our lives and hindering our relationship with God, which may be the cause of the difficulty. We do do that, and the, the scriptures tell us to do that, but it seems that the people have done this, they've reviewed where they are, and said, actually, no, Lord, we are faithful, we are walking with you, we are obeying you. And other times, God does not reveal why something has happened. He doesn't reveal why my good friend, a year ago, his father had a heart attack. Two, three weeks later, his mother had cancer. I remember sitting with him. And he's a Christian. He follows Jesus. Why has this happened? His parents were uh, were good people. Therefore, they were followers of Jesus. And to watch them, to watch them following God, believing God, it's okay. But I often think of their situation and think, think of of these questions. Why is this happening? 
And God may not reveal an answer. And actually, I think if he did reveal it, our finite minds wouldn't really understand why. You see, sometimes the Christian life, I say sometimes, all the time, the Christian life is about trusting God, that he knows the picture. He sees the beginning, and he sees the end, and he sees the perfect route. And it is always It is always good. It can't be anything but good because he's God. And we try and understand that. But we are finite. God is infinite. Finite can't understand infinite. It doesn't work. But then that's tough, isn't it? That's tough to take. But Lord, I don't understand. These are maybe the questions that you have. And we won't understand everything that happens in our life. I don't understand why the Lord took me out of Wales and brought me here still. I'm learning and I'm trusting. If I'd done it my way, and I'd have done it differently. And these are the, the questions and the things that we have in our life. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, it says, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's in these moments when we don't receive an answer that our faith in God is really, really tested. In victory and defeat, God is still God. He is still worthy to be praised. And the question is, are we then still prepared to praise and trust God in the midst of these times in our life? Could we pray words like this from the prophet prophet Habakkuk chapter 3 where he says this so the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines so the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls yet I will rejoice in the Lord I'll be joyful in God my savior the sovereign Lord is my strength he makes my feet like the feet of a deer he enables me to tread on the heights are we content to trust in God, even in, even in a situation that is so despairing and difficult. And further than trust him, but then to praise him. In verse 22 of the psalm, we read some very interesting words. Yet for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. It is for God's sake, the psalmist says, that, that the people are suffering. And in the New Testament, in the book of Romans chapter 8, Paul, a follower of Jesus and a leader in the early church, he quotes this psalm. And he specifically quotes this verse. And Paul here is speaking about suffering as a Christian for following Jesus, suffering rejection or persecution or kinds of hardship. And he says this, Romans chapter 8, it's just over two slides. Um, Romans chapter 8 verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave uh, gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And is also interceding for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered to be as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Out of love for Jesus, we will suffer. We will suffer innocently. Just like the people in Psalm 44 who are saying, Lord, we haven't turned away. We too as Christians who are faithful to God, who live for Jesus, our lives will not be smooth. Our lives will not be steady. We will suffer for the name of Jesus and for the person of Jesus whom we follow. And Paul is saying here, but look, the outward circumstances of our lives, they're going to be bad. They're going to be awful. They're going to be really tough. In our lives we may be suffering but don't focus on the suffering. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, don't focus on the suffering. Paul is saying here, outwardly circumstances may be tough and difficult, and we may not even understand them. But inwardly, your circumstances are amazing. Why? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been made right with God. You're forgiven. We sang it earlier, boldly I approach your throne. We can do that. We are set free. We're given new life and a deep and intimate and close relationship with God. The inward circumstances are amazing and that will never change. Even if the things happening in our life are difficult and hard to understand. Paul's main take-home point here is no matter how much we suffer, the love of Christ is still upon us and we can't be separated from that. That can't be taken away. Being faithful to God will mean hardship and pain and difficulty, but it's worth it. Jesus is worth it. Because he gave his all for you and for me. In the final verse of the psalm, the writer mentions the unfailing love of God. He says, rise up and help us, rescue us because of your unfailing unfailing. I think that word there is key. Unfailing love. His love is perfect. And that is love that we cannot be separated from. No matter what the circumstances of our life may suggest and try to take us and and, and kind of get in the way of uh, God's love for us. And suffering doesn't feel good. Suffering explained or unexplained doesn't feel good. It hurts. In the situations of crisis and difficulty where where perhaps God even seems silent or far away, our focus should not be on the suffering as such, but where our relationship with God is in the midst of the suffering. Faith in God does not exempt us from tragedy and hardship. Faith is not a bridge over troubled waters, but it's a pathway through them. Suffering, whether explained or unexplained, perhaps can be seen more as a battle scar than a punishment. Suffering for Jesus, we will get scarred, we will suffer, we will get injuries, if you like, in our battle. But it's worth it. It's worth it for what Jesus promises us. 
So are we content to praise God even in the midst of pain and hurt and sometimes unexplained suffering? Because he gave his all. Jesus gave his all for you. Would we not give our life for him? The book of James goes further and says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may endure, may, may be mature sorry, and complete, not lacking anything. Trials and tests, they will strengthen our faith. And the disciples of Jesus in the book of Acts, that always baffles me. When they suffered... They walked out of a court and they said, oh, it's great, we suffered for Jesus. It says they rejoiced because they saw it as a privilege to suffer for the Lord Jesus. A privilege. Suffering never seems like a privilege. But if you're a follower of Jesus, it's a battle scar that leads us closer to him, makes us more like him, in fact. Jesus suffered for us. And he said to his disciples, and therefore to us, you will suffer for following me. We will suffer, but it's for the Lord's sake that we suffer. So that we may rely and hold on to that unfailing love that is found in him. Let's take a moment to reflect. are going to lead us in a final song in a moment. What is God saying to you and to me this morning? Where is your relationship with God? Is it one of intimacy and honesty? Are there areas in your life that we, and my life, that we need to let God in on? The relationship that we have with God. He wants full access to, the, to our lives. Because he gave his, Jesus gave his life. His full life. And he wants us to give access to him. How often are we speaking with God over the things in our lives that we struggle with? How often do we remember the, the mighty deeds that he's done? His faithfulness to us. Maybe you're in, a, you're in a difficult place at the moment. You're in a place of darkness and upset. God wants you to come to him. To approach him. He wants you to, to, to trust him. And though the answers may not come, you can be assured that his love for you is perfect and good. Let's pray. Father, sometimes in life we do really have lots of questions of things that are going on. And we acknowledge that we struggle. We also acknowledge, Lord, that you are our creator. And so in faith we trust you. But Lord, in the times of difficulty, help us to cast our cares on you. Help us to put our worries and anxieties at the cross. Help us to take your hand and walk with you. Even where it 
It seems like the hardest thing. Father, we know and you've proved that you love us through your Son, who you gave for us to have this intimate relationship with us. Bless us, Father, we pray. Keep speaking to us as we seek to speak to you. In Jesus' name.